Welcome to Recalculating, Adventist Life Now. This is Skip Bell. I appreciate your listening, and let's get started. Today, I have the opportunity of uh, sharing some time with Ryko Stavanovic, professor of New Testament at Andrews University, the Theological Seminary. Hello, Ranko. Hi, Skip. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you for joining us in these times in which we're living. Listeners, uh, folk joining in the conversation here, Ranko and I have a collegial relationship dating back some years, and I know him as a, a scholar on the front line in issues especially of apocalyptic literature. The book of Revelation has been his focus. He has a bachelor's in theology and MA from the Adventist International Institute of Advanced Studies, doctoral degree, PhD from Andrews University. Ranko, if I'm right, uh, you have produced, including your dissertation, four published books as, along with numerous articles. I should say the most recent, I think, is now in publication, the Book of Revelation. No, actually, two books have been already available for the last three, four years. My comment on the Revelation was published in 2002, revised in 2009. Mm -hmm. And I also produced the commentary on the book of Revelation and Second Thessalonians for Andrew's Bible Commentary, which is the project of General Conference, um, which will be one volume commentary that is um, to come out this year. And also I wrote a commentary on the book of Romans for new Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, which ah. will be multi-volume series. Well, thank you for your scholarly work, your contribution uh, in that way. I, uh, I know the commentary on the book of Revelation I, uh, by the Andrews University Press, uh, your work, I think it's still available on Amazon. It's in my library. If I look yes, to the yes. left, I see yeah. it here. Uh, and that book is such a blessing to our community. I, <clears throat> let's, let's get started with asking you to, to reflect on kind of the nature of the book of Revelation, the prophecies of, that John has shared with us and what is now last in the collection-bound collection of our Christian scriptures. Sometimes... Sometimes those prophecies, it seems, Ranko, have been the subject of speculative interpretations, sensational perhaps, sometimes tracking current events. Uh, how would you see that in regard to our Christian mission, our Adventist witness? Any thoughts on that? You know, the book of Revelation, it's a prophetic book. But it's not a regular prophetic book like, for instance, the so-called classical biblical prophecies that we find in the Old Testament, like the book of Isaiah, um, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets. Well, when we read those prophecies, the language is very much literal and straightforward. If symbols are used, those symbols, the original readers did not have difficulty to understand. 
the book of Revelation is a prophetic book, but belongs to special genre of, of biblical prophecy, which is called apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. So apocalyptic is uh, specially focused on the currents in history leading to the time of the end. Mm-hmm. But the description of all those events, including the events to take place at the time of the end, is given in a very complex, we call apocalyptic symbolic language, which is so easy to misunderstand and try to apply to every generation of Christian Christians that is based on sensationalism and it really it's a fertile ground for all kind of speculative interpretation of prophecies that is really contrary to the very intention of what God intended for us to understand yeah. in giving us those those prophecies so your your uh, reflection Ranko, is that the very nature of the book kind of exposes it to a reader, a teacher, a preacher, a a person who enjoys the prophetic word and symbols, perhaps speculating and yeah. creating interpretations. It's just part of the nature of the book. That's that's exactly yes. Now, how how do we go about? avoiding um, perhaps eroding confidence in the book uh, of Revelation by, by approaching it in a healthy way? How do we go about forming a healthy approach to the prophecies? You see, uh, several points we have to keep in mind when we are talking about the prophecies of the book of Revelation. One thing is, as we mentioned already, the symbolic nature or the language that is used in describing the events in the book of Revelation. That symbolic language reflected the symbols that people understood and used at the time when the book of Revelation was written. Unfortunately, many interpreters of the book of Revelation are taking those uh, symbols in the book of Revelation and they take on the other side the media reports, newspaper reports, and trying to find out how every detail of these contemporary events fits into what is found in the text. You see, if we want to interpret, interpret the symbols of the book of Revelation, the first thing is we have to understand about the meaning of those symbols that was in the mind of the inspired author when he wrote those visions that he saw on on Patmos and the way how the original readers would understand that symbol, not our today's understanding of the symbols. That's number one about symbols, about the very message of those prophecies. We have to understand whether we are talking about so-called classical prophecies that we mentioned in the Old Testament 
or the apocalyptic prophecies of the New Testament. The prophecy is never given to the people to satisfy their curiosity about the future. By the way, when we read uh, the prophecies of the book of Revelation very carefully, yes, it appears to me that the prophecy clearly tells us about what the humanity can expect as we are approaching to the time of the end. I, it, it, it appears to me that we have a very fair picture of what was going on, and that's that the situation in this world will go downhill more and more as we are pro- approaching to that very, very end. But what the prophecy never tell us, and that's when actually the time of the end will come, and when those end-time prophecy will actually take place, will be fulfilled. And the second thing is that the prophecy never revealed to us how exactly those end-time events will take place. It's only the future will tell us exactly about the exact fulfillment of those of those prophecies. Now, now I hear you, Ranko, saying that the the approach we bring to the study of Revelation is key to the healthy um, influence and application of the prophecies to our Christian life. You're you're describing that instead of approaching it with curiosity about the future. Yeah we approach these prophecies as assurance that Christ is in the future, uh, that, that there is an end time predicted. But, but you're, you're telling us, I think, now correct me if I'm wrong, you're, you're telling us, I think, to be cautious about imposing out of our bias an interest in, in the exact detail. Exactly. Uh, Skip. I, I want also the listeners who are listening mm-hmm. uh, this this interview that we understand one thing is when we watch, for instance, and think about what has been happening in the world, for instance, in the last 20 years, mm-hmm. we will see that almost every event raised some very strange interpretation of biblical prophecies. It's always whatever event took place in the world, people say, do you see, this is the sign of the end. And of course, number of years have passed, nothing happened. So when we are talking about these things, it's very, very easy to go to one to another extreme. One extreme would be to say, you see, all of these things have been happening regularly. Nothing unusual now is happening now. Nothing. So the world will go as it has been going. On the other side, there is another extreme and to take every event and interpret it as a sensation and telling us, do you see, this is the sign of the end. And I would like actually just to apply it to the current situation in which we are now. Mm -hmm. Whether we open the prophecies of the book of Revelation or another prophecy that was actually spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ 
in Matthew 24 and 25. We never have a pestilence, okay, or a plague to be a sign of the end. What we are trying to say, the sign of the end, we mean when this happened, that we know and we can say, do you see, we have now the fulfillment of prophecy telling us that this is now the very end. That's, that's one thing. We never have it. So we cannot take now coronavirus and say, do you see that now? This is the end. We should not plan our lives. We should not talk anything about the future. This is the end. Uh-huh. But the healthy approach would be that both Jesus' apocalyptic sermon in Matthew 24 and 25 and the book of Revelation are telling us that the many strange things will be happening in the world. Even though the book of Revelation never talks about the plague, never talks about pestilence, including coronavirus. But this is a part of one package about the things that will be taking place, which will be increasing, which will be multiplying, but we don't know where is the peak of that. We we will never know, you know, what is the climax of those events that we can really say dogmatically, now do we see this is a clear indication of the time of the end. The end is here. We don't need to plan anything about life on this earth. I uh, appreciated um, a paragraph of your work uh, I have read in Ministry uh, magazine regarding Revelation and how uh, we share, teach, and preach Revelation. You wrote a responsible exposition of Revelation's prophecies must be faithful to the text rather than to what we want the text to say as it relates to current events. Revelation itself gives a warning against adding to or removing from the words of the book. The warning does not deal with tampering with the actual words of Revelation, but rather with distorting and misinterpreting the prophecies of Revelation to suit one's own purposes. It also has to do with enforcing speculative ideas and views promoted by popular doomsday preachers. We must stay with what is clearly stated in the text and shun all speculative interpretations. I appreciated those words, Franco. Yeah. Now, now, what do you what do you say then, Ranko? Uh, for a moment, uh, we the listeners, uh, I myself have often encountered people who are fervid religionists. Uh, as a member of a conservative, uh, scripture believing um, Protestant group, uh, uh, we have within our context some fervid religionists for whom the prophecies tend to produce fear. You look at the prophecies and your response is, oh, these are fearful times. Or fear of another Christian body and how they might oppress us. And it seems, how do you respond personally to someone? You go about teaching, uh, holding workshops, and undoubtedly you have people in breaks come to you uh, with that kind of sense about them? How do you respond to them? 
I would approach this from a little bit different angle in different perspectives. You see, we already mentioned about the symbolic nature of the prophecies of the book of Revelation. One of the things that is very important to keep in mind that that symbolic language of the book was is actually derived from the Old Testament. By the way, about 75% to 80% of all the language of the book of Revelation is taken from the Old Testament, especially from the prophetic books of the Old Testament. And it's necessary, therefore, that we go to the Old Testament, that we start with the Old Testament, that will help us really to understand how to approach the biblical prophecies. So one question is, when we read the Old Testament prophecies, and once again, I can repeat Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, minor prophets. When the prophets preached those messages, what was the purpose of those prophecies? You see, the prophecies in the Old Testament, they had two aspects. One aspect was forth-telling, another one was foretelling. The primary purpose of the prophecies was foretelling. It means it was the message sent to the people. So when they heard the message that the prophets actually delivered to them, it was not now they said, and they said, oh boy, let us see how we can go now and speculate. I'm sorry, I will use the expression uh, today. Even the newspapers are talking about those conspiracy theories, etc. And now they try to discuss about those prophecies, how they apply to Babylonians, how they apply to different people. No, when the prophet preached the message to them, it was for the purpose to turn people back to God. So at the core of the prophetic message was the Hebrew word shuv that we translate with the word repent. Actually, the literal translation, it means return, turn back, go back to God. So the, the prophecies, they had moral purposes to wake people, help them understand their situation, they are far away from God and bring them back to God. The book of Revelation builds on the Old Testament prophecies. So what the purpose of the prophecies was in the Old Testament, the same purpose is with regard to the book of Revelation. So why do we have these prophecies? These prophecies, number one, are intended to tell the faithful, to God's people, that they recognize time in which they live. Let me put it in a different way. To um, recognize that this world, it's just a temporary, that all the things that happens in this world, it's because of what People did with their attitude toward each other, toward God, to the nature, and to the world in which they, they live. That was the intention. So the purpose of this prophecy is that people take their salvation and their future very seriously. That they understand 
that this life is not all what they have and every day of our lives is not to taken for granted. So when we, that we take our future seriously, that's opportunity that we can re-examine our lives and to turn back to God. And I believe what is taking place now with coronavirus, with uh, all this, I don't like the expression that people are using social distancing. I don't believe that there is social distancing. There is physical distancing. So we cannot be together physically, but I still believe we are very much connected. Praise God for technology. You see, now we are talking, we are connected with our listeners at this, at this, at this moment. This is really the opportunity, number one, that we deal with our personal relationship with God. And number two, we know that there are many of our friends. Mm-hmm. There are people who are very close to us. And I'm assuming even some members of our own family who are far away from God. And this is the opportunity that we try to reach them. And, and the situation like this, telling people about the seriousness, the time in which we live. And God wants evidently to use us, number one, to bring us closer to him. And number two, he wants through us to bring as many people as possible, you know, to accept the salvation that God uh, is offering to human beings so one day that they can be saved. That's yeah. that's the purpose. That's that's really the ultimate purpose of biblical prophecies. And we need to come back to that. But you... Uh... Uh, you have given us an important insight, and I think as we listen to your reflection, we need to pause for a moment and, and, and make sure we're hearing it. You're, you are describing that uh, uh, John received these, revela- these revelations in, in symbolic uh, language. Uh, language. Images. And, and that they're, they're borrowed from a contextual experience uh, that the listener or reader of that time would understand. It almost, it almost uh, presupposes that coming from the context of the time, the symbols would somehow be under, understood. Now, the... Um, Aramaic was the language of the Babylonian Empire. Am I correct in that? Yes, yeah. yes. That was lingua franca language of the time. All right. And much of the uh, symbolic um, imagery comes from uh, the environment, the culture, the life that the believer, the Jewish believer at that time would be familiar with and that people influenced by that culture in their history would be familiar with. The sacrificial animals from the Hebrew sanctuary and those rituals. Uh, am I correct in that? Yeah. Uh, can I just build on that, what, what you are saying? Mm-hmm. You see, the book of Daniel was written actually in two languages. Mm-hmm. Chapter 1 and chapters 8 to 12 were written in the Hebrew language. And we know the Hebrew language was the language of the Hebrew people. But chapters 2 to chapter 7 were written in the Aramaic language. And the Aramaic language at the time of Daniel, at the time when the book was written, was what English language is today. 
So it was the language of commerce, the language of politics, and, and the language that the people communicated on the daily basis. Now there is a question, why did Daniel write chapters two to seven in the Aramaic language? Why the whole book was not written in Hebrew? I believe that there is only one answer is, while chapters one and eight to 12 that were written in Hebrew language were exclusively written for the Hebrew people because not other nations spoke that and understood that language. But chapters two to seven were written evidently with intention that the Babylonians could read those, those chapters. And it's very interesting is, it's not only the Aramaic language itself, but the, symbol, the symbolic symbolism that is used in chapters two to seven is very interesting. We go to chapter two is we have the portrayal of the future that God uh, revealed to the king Nebuchadnezzar and of course the Babylonians in general. What was the symbol that God used speaking to those people? It was an idol. Mm -hmm. Most likely, I agree with scholars, that the statue that the Nebuchadnezzar saw was really the statue of God Marduk. Mm. God would never use such a symbol to speak to his own people, which would be very offensive to them. Ah, see, that's interesting. But to Babylonians, mm -hmm. it worked very, very well. It appealed very well. Then we go to chapter 7. Again, Again, we have the future written beforehand, but this time we have four animals. And they're familiar to the Babylonians. By the way, if we go to Germany, in Germany, in so-called Pergamum Museum in Berlin, yes, we have the huge pieces that are brought from ancient Babylon. Anybody could go there. We have actually the back wall of the of the Nebuchadnezzar's throne room, etc. If you go there, you don't need too much time, just just few moments that you can understand those four animals. Yes. They're everywhere on the walls. Yep. So, so they could understand very, very well. But you see, that section is also organized a so-called chiastic structure. I, I, I apologize to the listeners. I want to confuse them. But that was the way how in ancient Near East, people are writing and organizing their works. It means you have the first and the last part they match, then the second and the next one to the last they match, and then you have the center. And and we have the part number two, which is, which is chapter number three, and we have chapter six, they match. We have three young men that are delivered from the fiery furnace, and then in chapter six, we have Daniel's saved from the, from the lion's den. What was the message to the Babylonians? They thought they defeated God and his people, uh -huh. but God is still alive and present with his people, even to save them from the fiery furnace and from the lion's den. And then when we have at the center, which are chapters four and five, we have Nebuchadnezzar after so many years, more than 25 years, God attempts to actually save Nebuchadnezzar and bring him to himself. God finally succeeded and Nebuchadnezzar accepted the God of Israel. 
But on the other side, we have his descendant, Belshazzar, who remained stubborn. He actually mocked the godhood heaven. He had to reap his destiny about his decisions and his actions. And this is at the center of that message. We can see how the whole concepts that are used there are the concepts they appeal to the Babylonians. But when we come to the Hebrew section, chapters 1 and then chapters 8 to 12, for instance, in chapter 8, we have also the portrayal of the future. But this time, the animals are used, but they are domestic animals, not wild and vicious animals. And that's God and that's a ram. Every Israelite knew that those two animals, when they are put together, these are the animals used at the most important holiday among the Jewish people. It was the day of atonement. Ah, yes. So the, the Jews could relate to them. And the focus, the focus of the whole section is on the coming of the Messiah, which was actually the focus and the hope of the Jewish people. When the Messiah comes, he will bring the solution to all the problems in the world. We can see how the messages between the Aramaic and the Hebrew sections are very similar, yet actually the purpose is the same. Actually, the description of those messages were given in quite a different way so that it could appeal to the Babylonians and it could also appeal to the, to the, to the Hebrew people because God meets people where they are. When God speaks to the people, his message is so clear that people can understand message and actually accept it and recognize the significance and the depth message and its purpose actually for the daily lives. Uh, th this is exciting, Ranko. I, 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 let me tell you what I'm hearing and then share with you uh, some emotions that are coming up in my mind, my heart, as I, as I reflect on it. The prophecies of Revelation were revealed in symbols understandable to John and the original readers. Yeah. So we today must be on guard against imposing uh, on the text yeah. uh, the current meaning of symbols in, yeah. in our life today with some kind of allegory. And this, this, um, this sense has brought me to say, it's kind of, it's kind of like God sharing through these prophecies, Jesus came, the victory won on the cross and in the resurrection, the risen Christ yeah. is assured and the prophecy, like you were referring to that chiastic uh, way of expression, in the end, Jesus wins. Is, is it is it possible then to see the whole, the whole uh, series of visions and communication with John as centered in Jesus and the assurance of Jesus restoring earth? Is that taking it too far? That's a, no, that's exactly what this is all about. By the way, what is the title of the last book of the Bible? It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. Actually, the word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, from which the word apocalypse comes. That's the meaning of the word apocalypse. Unfortunately, the current understanding and the usage of the word apocalypse is contrary 
to the original meaning of the of the word. But Skip, with regard to what you are just saying, can we just take the book of Daniel and try to apply it to the book of Revelation? According to the book of Revelation, the situation in this world is actually portrayed in terms of Babylon. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting when we read uh, all those chapters in the book of Revelation talking about the time of the end. They're telling us that there will be the apostate system. And that system is named Babylon. If we look around ourselves, is there any any system, whether political, religious, whatever, that is called Babylon? The answer is no. So why is called Babylon? The answer is, if you want to understand what will be going on in this world at the time of the end, what are we supposed to do? We have to go to the Old Testament and to study ancient Babylon, and then we will understand it. Mm-hmm. So this is actually actually the purpose. So why is that language taken from the Old Testament? To tell us that the same evil powers that had been present in this world throughout the history will be also present at the time of the end. The same arch enemy, which is in the Bible called the devil and Satan, will be also very active at the time of the end. So, in the book of Revelation, the main actor and the main player on the world scene at the time of the end is not any human being. Sometimes we are pointing to human beings. No, the the main and key player at the time of the end is Satan himself. And Revelation 12, 17 is telling us very clearly about this this, this key, key player. So the focus is on that arch enemy, enemy of God. But then the second reason why the book of Revelation is using the language of the Old Testament is to tell us that the same God who was with his people in the past will be also at the time of the end. Yeah. As he was able to save his faithful at the time of the end, in the past, he will be also able to save them at the time of the end. But then final thought about, about this. You see, when we go to the book of Daniel, there is something that's so amazing and always touches my heart and always uh, put me in a deep mode of, of thinking is, in the book of Daniel, Babylon is an enemy of God and his people. It's an evil system. That's so clear. But then Daniel understood one thing is, and that was that God loved the Babylonians and God wanted through Daniel and his friends and other Israelites to reach as many Babylonians as possible with that offer of salvation. That's actually the main reason why the book of Revelation takes the Old Testament scenes, Old Testament images, the Old Testament language to describe the time of the end, telling us at the time of the end, the world will come into the difficult position as a result of human beings have been doing with the planet Earth throughout the history. But we have to understand one thing is, 
that God still has on this earth so many people. According to the book of Revelation, chapter 18, verse 4, God will send the message, come out of her, my people. God does not say, come out of her to be my people. No, they are already his people. Come out of her, my people. God has his people. God loves the Babylonians as he loved at the time of Daniel. So he loved them also today. He loves me. He wants to see me one day in his kingdom. And God wants through me to reach as many people as possible in this world in order to have them one day in his kingdom. Uh, the Hebrew people, people were a witness of God and God intended for that witness to multiply in exactly. Babylonian life and culture. Yes. Uh, yeah, well, that's fascinating. And so you're helping us remember that the prophecy is not given to satisfy our curiosity about the future or to speculate about current events uh, or to identify the exact time of the coming of Christ. You're saying that it's, it's not to be the subject of speculation or sensationalism, but rather the strengthening of our faith, our, our faith in God, our faith in his revelation. And the book, the book does begin revelation of Jesus Christ and yes. ends with the proclamation praise of his coming. Yes. Uh, let me tell you, if God's intention was to satisfy our curiosity about the future, we would not have the book of Revelation written in symbolic language. God would speak very directly to, the, to us, inform us about everything about with every nation in the world, what will take place. But that was not God's intention. We have it, and sometimes we forget, and sometimes it's very, very, um, very hard to accept it as a fact that according to the book of Deuteronomy, there are many things that God has revealed to us, but many things God in his wisdom has kept for himself. So let me just put it in different ways. Everything that God has found which is necessary for our salvation, he has revealed to us. Other things that God does, not, does know that it will not uh, uh, help us with regard to our salvation and our relationship with him, God has kept all those secrets for himself. And one day, only the future will reveal to us all those, all those secrets. What God wants us is to see us one day in his kingdom and many people that he tries to reach through us. Yes. I, uh, I thank you, uh, Ranko, for spending this time with us. And I want to encourage people to uh, get hold of your commentary on the book of Revelation from Amazon or Andrews University Press. Uh, I want to uh, share with our listeners a uh, sentence or two I have read of Ranko's work and then ask Ranko to finish with a sentence or two of the affirmation of what gives him this passion. He wrote... While Christ would be the one who revealed the messages of the book to John, the book focuses on his self-revelation and post-Calvary ministry in heaven. He is the central object of the entire book. The book begins and concludes with him. Jesus Christ is the main focus 
of Revelation. Raiko, a last word? The last word is not too many people actually know about the last statement of the book of Revelation. And that last statement is, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. What God wanted to tell us with that last statement, we don't know what the future brings, but God's people and the people of this world will have to go through terrible times. All what we need during those times is that grace of God. Thank you, Dr. Stavanovic Ranko. It's a, just such a joy to have you with us. This is Skip Bell. Thank you to everyone for listening. Until next time, keep thinking, keep believing.